This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to episode four of our podcast, HS2, Walking the Line. The news has been dominated this past week by anti-HS2 sentiment. Lord Tony Barclay, Deputy Chair of the Government's Review Panel, published his alternative report. In it, he claimed the project costs are out of control and could spiral to £107 billion. His report claims Parliament would never have agreed to go ahead with the high-speed rail line if they had not been misled over the likely costs. The report was manna from heaven for environmentalists and other campaigners who spent years making the case to abandon HS2. Lord Barclay's critique of the project comes in the midst of a winter of protests, spearheaded by naturalist and TV presenter Chris Packham. At HS2 sites across the country, campaigners have heavily focused on the fate of ancient woodlands. In a pre-Christmas video, Packham and movie star Emma Thompson joined forces to urge the government to rethink HS2 and save the trees. They are not alone. A formidable army of campaigners and campaign groups are standing against the scheme. They include the Woodland Trust, the RSPB, Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace, the Wildlife Trusts and the World Wildlife Fund. Momentum, then, would appear to be firmly with the Stop HS2 campaigners, to the delight, but not surprise, of Joe Rukin, campaign manager for the Stop HS2 movement. Early in 2019, Joe and his faithful dog, Evie, literally walked the line. They traced the route out of Birmingham's Curzon Street, north to Leeds, then from Manchester to London, following the line of the HS2 route. Along the way, Joe recorded a video diary. Evie, what do you think of that? We're going on a big walk. We're going on a big walk. Oh, we're going on the biggest walk you've ever seen. This is Birmingham New Street Station. That's right, there's a pianist in the concourse of Birmingham New Street Station. Because if you hadn't been here for a while, they've done it up. Uh, they spent about 600 million quid, something in the region of that, doing this station up. But when I say doing it up, I don't mean that they you know, spent a lot of money on the tracks and the platforms. They spent a lot of money on tarting it up and making it a better shopping centre. Actually, they did clean up the platforms, but you know, no, not as if there's a load more trains or more connectivity. Now, what you might not know 
is that HS2 isn't planned to come here. You know, why bring it to the major train intersection in Birmingham? No, no, no. It's going to go to the, uh, the site of the original train station over on Curzon Street. This is the back end of the Birmingham Curzon Street site, which is about half a mile from the front end of the, uh, the site, meaning it's easily going to be about a mile to transfer seat to seat from HS2 to a train on New Street. But as you can see, construction here isn't starting. They're not building this because no one wanted to build it. That's right, they let out a 435 million pound contract and they didn't get any bidders. Well, it's always great fun putting a tent up for the first time in the dark in the rain, but uh, I probably got in it about half past midnight. The moral of the story is obviously next time set off earlier. Absolutely soaked. He has been predicting for months that the whole project is about to hit the buffers. Wishful thinking or prophecy? HS2, walking the line. I chose a particularly dreadful wintry day to meet up with Joe Rukin and fellow protesters at Crackley Woods. It was lashing with rain, cold enough to freeze fingers, and there was so much mud. But that was not enough to deter these hardy protesters. The wood, just north of Kenilworth, is one of several in the Midlands where tented camps have been set up to try to halt any tree removal by HS2 in readiness for the railway line. I chatted first to Jane, a forest school leader, parent and stalwart campaigner against HS2. sensation is just about coming back to my fingertips. It's freezing cold. It's a November morning. I'm sat around a campfire under a tarpaulin. The rain is lashing down. I'm with Jane. Jane, why on earth are you here? Ah, well, basically, I'm here to um, protect these beautiful woodlands. They do happen to also be ancient woodlands, Jane, um, which makes them, some people would say, more important. I personally believe any woodlands and beautiful piece of countryside is is equally as important but um, specifically ancient woodlands are supposedly being protected at this time whilst waiting for the review to come through um, so we were told that no work would be taking place whilst this review was um, you know, sort of being checked out uh, so um, the fact that that, that is, it hasn't actually been happening, unfortunately, is the reason why we've had to set up camps. Um, this is not the only camp. Um, and quite literally, if we were not here, then we would have lost many more trees, vegetation, plus wildlife. And that does also include, sadly, um, protected species such as badgers and bats. We've had many um, gates put in to block the bats from returning home. Um, one of which was actually put in on bonfire night. So imagine the horror of the badgers 
leaving their set in the evening, fireworks going off, and they can't get back to their homes. Um, so, so yeah, basically, I'm here to protect the woodlands, um, staying overnight, camping in all kinds of crazy weather, because it's just really important to me and it's really close to my heart. Um, I have a child and I had an amazing childhood, spending it, you know, running free in the countryside and woodlands, etc. And uh, the next generation and the generations after that have the right to that experience too. It's very important um, to health, well-being, and just generally kids experiencing nature. Tell me about your night last night. What was it like for you? I was actually very snuggly and warm, actually. <laughs> My daughter and the dog and a nice cosy tent with lots of layers. The key is layers. If you've got plenty of layers and you go to bed nice and warm, make sure you've sat around the fire a bit before you go to bed. Perhaps a nice warm drink. So yeah, I was absolutely fine. The wind and the rain is a little different because it does wake you, the noise. But in terms of warmth, layers is key. So you've been here three nights. That would strike some people as a passion verging on verging on madness. You've explained really well. I can I can tell from the passion in your voice how important this is to you. We're speaking just as the review has been unveiled, or at least a version of it, which seems to be suggesting that um, the recommendation is that it will HS2 will go ahead in full which will draw cheers and applause from some parts of the country. That's clearly not your take on things. What is it about this project that drives you to come out in this awful weather? The ecosystems and the habitats here are crucial um, in so many ways. I mean, we could probably talk all day about the, the different benefits that, you know, these woodlands and these different areas bring to, to life. But... It seems absolute madness the way that um, in this country we're saying that we need to plant more trees, we need more hedgerows, we're, we're losing wildlife. We're, you know, obviously those certain types of wildlife will also pollinate crops, etc. We have, a, a, you know, bees are on the, on the decline um, and it's just absolute madness the way we're promoting this. It's almost like we're hypocrites. We're saying this is what we need to do. We need to plant more trees. We need to take care of the country. We need to, you know, make sure that all these things are, are sacred. However, we're just chopping it all down aimlessly. Um, and there are other solutions for the uh, transport and the train systems in this country. And clearly they were not looked at um, with much care and compassion and, and basically brains, as far as I'm concerned. It's quite an unintelligent thing to do. We sat in a woodland. Where, where exactly would the trains be running from where we're sat? Well, the, um, in regards to actually where the train would be running, you're talking about probably about 20 metres, would you say, Joe? Well, my tent is. Yeah, so less than that, about 10 metres. All of these trees, so all of these trees here that we're, we're sat under, you know, that keeping the tarp up, they will be removed. So straight from this side of the large wooden barrier that runs across the bottom, um, that's exactly where the train would be running. Everything the other side of that will also be taken out. So all of this ancient woodland here that you see will be ripped down. And, and, and as I said, we, we have been here and at other um, sites in the area and stopped the felling of trees, um, which we were told by our local MP would not be happening. They would not be touched. And they have the only reason why they, they haven't been in to do that is because we've been here. Sadly, we can't be everywhere and there is more destruction taking place because we just can't split ourselves in so many different pieces. But yeah, it, it's so sad to think that this would all be gone if we were not here. 
there, there will be those who say this is a vital piece of infrastructure. I've heard people telling me that we faced exactly the same level of protest and concern when we were building the M1, when we were putting in the M40, the M42, existing railway lines. This is just part of the, you know, this is essentially the collateral for progress. What would be your response to those people? Over £103 billion so far, um, and more is owing to landowners. So there is much more money to be spent on this project. Um, yeah, £103 billion. Just kind of think about that figure. Think about the NHS. Think about education. Think about mental health. Think about other ways where this money could seriously benefit the country in many other ways. And there's no way it needed to be. I, I, I believe it was first put out to be something around, around about 50 billion, which seems an incredible amount of money, but it's way, way over budget beyond realism. So yeah, just be, be really great to ask that question to, to the nation and say, well, what would you spend all of that money on? You know, how would that benefit you? Just to save yourself 20, 30 minutes on a train journey. Just get up a little bit earlier. Sally, an ex-maths teacher, joined us around the campfire. Um, I came across this camp because it's on one of my dog walks that I do. I'm, I live in the local town um, and I just thought there is so much beautiful woodland around here. There's a newly planted woodland as well. That's also going to be wiped out. And it, it's been wiped out for something that I don't believe is the best solution. I know what you said um, before about we need the infrastructure and I agree we do need the infrastructure but there have to be other solutions to just wiping another tranche of a, this beautiful countryside out. We're, we're a very small country area-wise and to put another great swathe of infrastructure through the middle just doesn't seem sensible to me. It's not that I'm against infrastructure, I know we need the infrastructure but it just doesn't seem like the best way of doing it and things. So that's why I'm here. So. So tell me a little bit about you, Sally, because have you protested before? Is this, are you, are you a, a regular campaigner or is this, is this something that has got you fired up enough to come out and camp and be out in the cold and wet? Uh, I'm very conservative with um, a small C. Um, previously, I've been conservative with the big C as well, but that one's not happening this year for various reasons. Um, but no, I wouldn't, I'm not somebody who would ever go and campaign. I might sign a petition. Um, I've never even written a letter. I don't do the social media stuff, so I can't really spread stuff out on that. Um, but I just feel this is on my doorstep and I can do something to help it. I haven't actually stayed overnight. I come and spend the day here when I can, um, because we need people here, not only overnight, but also in the day. And a lot of the people who do the night shift then go off to work in the daytime and things. So it's important that we get a whole different bunch of people who come down to cover the whole 24 hours and things. So yeah. all countryside is special in as much as we all need to be able to access our countryside. We are a very densely populated country and it's so important that we protect the bits of countryside that we have that separate our towns, give people the opportunity to get out for walks and things. I actually live about not very far from here. So this is a walk that we do from my home about four miles away things and we can walk up this way and do a nice loop round and things and to have these things just wiped out for something that it's not necessarily the best solution for the country um, 
just doesn't seem doesn't seem right which is why i'm prepared to come and spend my days here and uh, do my bit to try and protect this area so joe rukin is one of the most vocal and visible anti-hs2 campaigners employed as a campaign manager by the stop hs2 movement he coordinates media activity but also gets stuck in on the front line he joins us at the campfire for a cup of tea and a biscuit it's a really lovely warm atmosphere here. The fire's the fire's going well. There's a pot of coffee on. You're among friends. But clearly there's something a bit more serious behind this. You founded this camp. Why did you do so? And what needs to happen next in your opinion? Well, HS2 were blundering ahead with, you know, the destruction of woodlands habitats and here specifically ancient woodlands. And we set up, originally we set up the camp in Covington because purely by luck, we realized that Covington was going first. Out of all the woodlands in the whole country, ancient woodlands, Covington Wood, South Covington Wood was gonna go first. And uh, we set up the camp on the Saturday and they turned up with the chainsaws on the Monday. And if it hadn't been for the fact that the camp was there, you know, these ancient woodlands would be cutting down, even though there is supposedly a yes or no review, a go, no go review on the project. Uh, and this is just ridiculous. You, you can't, you can't create, well, create, make this, you can't carry on with this permanent destruction to what are basically fragments of the forest of Arden. This is, this is an ancient woodland. This is prehistory woodland. This, this, these woodlands would have been here in Lady Godiva's day a thousand years ago. And to, actually attack them with this cavalier attitude. They're, oh, we'll chop them down. Oh, but the project might get cancelled in a month, but you know what, they'll grow back in you know, you know, a millennium or so. Uh, it was absolutely ridiculous. We just said, no, this cannot happen. So we camped in Covington first, South Covington Woods first, and now we're here in Crackley Woods as well. And we know that we've stopped HS2 doing work. We know that they'd be you know, trimming away at the sides. Uh, there's, there's various bits that they would be doing more if we weren't here. And that's why we're here. We're here to make sure that they don't take the woodland that they shouldn't be taking. Tell me a little bit about the camp. So I just want to paint a picture for those who can't see it. What, what we've got here. Well, what we've got here is about a dozen tents. Uh, we've, got, we've got a teepee up now. Uh, we're not totally convinced about uh, the structural rigidity of the teepee at the moment, at this moment in time. It needs a few more poles in it, but it's doing the job. And we are sat by the fire under a glorious blue tarpaulin that you can see if you look up at it, all the leaf litter and the fact that it's turning slowly green. And what, well, green on one side and black on the other side from the smoke from the fire. Obviously, uh, this is firewood that we're bringing in. We're obviously not sat here burning the ancient woodland. Uh, it's uh, mostly pallets. And, uh, and it's one of, the, one of the things like water and milk and tea that we're always on the lookout for. And, you know, it's probably about, I would say, 50 people who've been, probably a bit more actually now, who've been either taking a, a, rotor, a, a shift in the day or camping overnight. Uh, obviously we have to make sure that there is at least one person here at all times or HS2 would be in their rights to clear the camp. Uh, but legally, they can't evict us at this point in time. Uh, and we're here, we're here for the long run. So the long run could be some years. 
I wouldn't think it's going to be years. It's going to be, this thing is going to be over one way or the other in the spring. Um, the, the only question is which way. But uh, as for the camp, we will be here over the winter. We've not exactly picked the best time of year to, uh, oh, sorry, I'm just distracted because someone's opening a massive box of biscuits. <laughs> tarpaulin fire, it's a tarpaulin fire, tea and biscuits. That's pretty much, that's pretty much what this is. Like obviously HS2 will come over every so often. We'll see them going into other bits of the woods and we'll go and follow them. Uh, you know, there's, there's been occasions where people have said, right, for example, at one point they came to survey the bats. Well, we thought they came to survey the bats. And, and Martin just said, right, I think you're here to survey the bats. Uh, just be, I'm just going to watch you, if that's all right. But if I see you doing anything that I think is illegal, I will film you and I will call the police, which I thought was a completely reasonable thing. Because they, they just walk off, which doesn't exactly inspire you with confidence that they weren't going to do something illegal. Because... You know, we, we know at, at least at this moment in time, while well, as it's been recorded, there haven't been bat mitigation licenses issued to HS2 Limited, and Natural England have confirmed that. And if they don't get the bat move, movement done pretty soon, that they can't do it until February because they're going to be starting hibernating right now because the temperature has dropped. In fact, uh, last night was the coldest night there's been all year. So, you know, we are worried that they are potentially doing stuff that. If there weren't people in the woods seeing what they were doing, they might be getting away with it. This has been going on for nine and a half years. One of the, the, the one thing that you've learnt dealing with HS2 Limited over the last nine and a half years is you can't trust a single word they say. You know, we're sat next to a compound that isn't meant to be there. We were consulted in 2012 about all the road closures, all the compounds, and this one, it wasn't meant to be here. Uh, the other ones around here weren't meant to be here. The road closures that are happening now weren't meant to be here. They are all things that weren't in the consultation. And the excuse has been, oh, well, you were consulted about the main construction works. This is enabling work, so we can do what we like. And that's the attitude you have to deal with when you're dealing with HS2 Limited. So I've dragged Joe Rookin away from the flames of the campfire down in Crackley Wood. We're now sat in the back of a car. The rain is still lashing down. You might still be able to hear it, um, but at least we're dry, Joe, which is a which yeah. has got to be a positive. It was dry enough under the tarp, and the, you know I missed the fire already. Tell me a little bit about your walking marathon. Walking the route of HS2, you got to see. A lot of landscape, a lot of communities, a lot of habitats and woodland that simply didn't deserve the destruction that HS2 wants to thrust upon it. Like people think that HS2 is a railway line. People think, yeah, I've, I've stood on a train platform, I know what a railway is, and it can't possibly be that bad. And they have no idea what HS2 is going to be. Like you look at, say, I know that the maps of HS2 next to the M1 in Nottingham. And in Nottinghamshire, and you can see it's actually about two, the land take is two or three times as wide as the M1 where it's gone up to eight lanes. Uh, here in Kenilworth, the almost the entire green belt between Kenilworth and Coventry gets dug up at about 600 metres because, you know, they, they want to move the brook there. And you've got masses and masses of, of this sort of thing happening. We've been talking to business people in Birmingham who feel very strongly 
and politicians too, actually, in, in, in the West Midlands, feel very strongly that HS2 is a vital infrastructure project, that it's going to bring thousands of jobs, it's going to bring prosperity, it's going to bring investors into Birmingham and the West Midlands. You obviously feel very differently that this is not a project that's going to generate the benefits and the cost benefits that um, that are that are claimed. Um, why do you think your arguments should win out over those? Well, right since the start, HS2 has been lobbied for by the people who want to make money out of it, money out of building it and money out of the associated land grab around the stations. The idea that HS2 is going to be this panacea, this magic one that's going to cure the north-south divide is absolutely made up. It is, it's simply fictitious. You look at every single piece of international evidence, wherever you look across the world, you will see that the economic gains accrue at the strongest economic centre. Basically, it will suck more economic activity down to London. And if there is some development around the station sites, because obviously the land around Curzon Street will become a lot more valuable, which is why a lot of people are lobbying for it there, all that will do is it will impact and shift jobs from other places in the in the West Midlands that need those jobs. It's going to suck jobs out of Wolverhampton. It will suck jobs out of Coventry. It will suck jo jobs out of Warsaw. Wherever you look, it will suck jobs away from where they are actually needed. And that's the problem with HS2. It is simply a fast train for fat cats. This is something that is wanted for by the richest in society because that's who it's going to benefit. It's going to make a lot of people very rich. And it is quite simply not needed. There was never an assessment what's needed for Britain's transport infrastructure. It was just HS2. We're going to go ahead with it because we've been lobbied to, you know, politicians have been lobbied to say this is a great idea, and which is why when you look at every single argument that is put forward for it, none of it holds water. Uh, you know, there are vastly superior transport projects that could be implemented for less money, that will deliver more benefits to more people more quickly, because the vast majority of rail users aren't people who doing the, the long-distance point-to-point intercity journeys. Those are for the business elite. The vast majority of rail users are short-distance commuters. And now they're coming up with this idiotic argument saying, oh, well, it frees up capacity. Well, freeing up capacity means losing the trains you already have. You look at Coventry. Coventry is the example that we always use because it's the perfect one because every single London to Birmingham train stops at Coventry on the West Coast mainline. You take Birmingham to London, you stick that on uh, on HS2. You can't justify three fast trains an hour from London to Coventry, so you lose those services. And this is something that's absolute, it is in the HS2 business case, £11.2 billion worth of cuts to existing rail services. That's what they're planning. And when you, know, you get lobby, oh, it frees up capacity. Well, you may have capacity for more trains, and that's dubious, but you're not going to have provision of more trains uh, because you're cutting the budget. And you have a lot of these things. Like you've got some idiot politicians who say, oh, it will take flights out of the air. It will reduce domestic aviation. Right, okay. Birmingham Airport, Manchester Airport, Leeds Bradford Airport and East Midlands Airport are all lobbying for HS2. They all see this as crucial for their expansion plans. You know, they are not lobbying for some. They are not spending their own money to lobby for something that is going to damage them as commercial entities, right? But you have politicians who are stupid enough to believe this. It's now absolutely clear. It's been well documented that 
politicians that the House of Commons was was misled in terms of the costs of HS2. That you know the, the documents have come out that shown that they knew that civil servants of the Department of Transport knew that HS2 was over budget before it went before Parliament for the vote. So this idea that it is a transport solution is just wrong, and it's been propped up by sound bites like game changer, once in a life, once in a generation opportunity, essential. And when politicians are using word, you know, phrases like that without any substance behind them, you know, that's the time that you should get really worried. The case for, um, for and against HS2 has been well rehearsed. We're now at a place where a review, an independent review ordered by well, no, Boris Johnson. absolutely not independent. You can't, right. Doug Okavy, the former chairman of HS2 Limited, is being inv- being asked to investigate his own mess. Like, come on, to, to claim that Doug Okavy could be independent is it, just insanity. The evidence that they're taking into account is more or less entirely provided by HS2 Limited themselves. It is a stitch-up. It's a whitewash. It is a total, total cover-up. In the spring, we'll have a new government in place that will have to make a final decision. Whether they like it or not, they're going to have to come down one way or the other on this project. Um, if they come down in favour of it proceeding in full, where does that leave the Stop HS2 movement? Where does that leave you? Well, quite honestly, I genuinely at this point in time don't think that's going to happen. And the reason I don't think it's going to happen is because while... The, the idea of having a review was to take HS2 off the election agenda. It has spectacularly backfired because now you're, we are going to have the truth come out. And the truth that will come out, we are quite convinced it's going to come out, is going to be that damaging that the project simply cannot go ahead. Because we believe if it gets to that point where the government are saying that it's absolutely definitely going to go ahead. Camps like this, well, it will be down to the individuals as to what they do next. But I have a feeling that a lot of places it's going to be very difficult to get people out. And not just of a place like this, but there's a lot of people who aren't leaving their homes or indeed their businesses, uh, not just for emotional reasons, but because they simply haven't been paid. And this is unfortunately part of the case with H, part of, part of the course with HS2 in that, uh, you know, they, they treat people with massive disrespect. And you're looking at a project that's now three times the original budget that it was. And it's just going to keep going up. But they don't care. This is a, no, one, no one in HS2 Limited and the contractors cares that it's going over budget because that means more money for them. That's the whole point. Great, it's going over budget. That means, you know, billions more in our back pockets. Just put it into the trough. An announcement on HS2 is imminent. At some point soon, Boris Johnson is going to have to decide whether to press on with HS2, dilute the project down, or scrap the whole thing. In the meantime, the camps, the protesters, and the trees they are protecting say they are here to stay. You can download HS2, Walking the Line, from wherever you listen to your podcasts. But for exclusive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review HS2, Walking the Line, and help other listeners discover us too. 
This is a Laudable production for Birmingham Live. You can find out more about Laudable and our other local podcasts by following us on Twitter and Instagram. HS2, Walking the Line.